you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Around the League Podcast knows how to pronounce Jairus Myers. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League Podcast. My name is Dan Hansen, and I'm joined by a room filled with heroes, Chris Wessling, Mark Sessler, and Greg Rosenthal. What up, boys? Hey, Dan. Full house. How are you? How are you, Mark? I'm good. It's been a, I really missed you guys last week. You know, it was nice taking a vacation, but it just wasn't the same without our every th- couple of day chats. Did you get our voicemail we left for you? Is that how I, we broke the news to you? Uh, yes. I the news came the Colt McCoy the news. Colt McCoy news. Yeah. Stunning development. Um, <laughs> yes, I could not get any phone calls in this remote location I was in, but I got that when I got home. To just give you an idea of how plugged in Sessler is to the podcast when he's not on the show, he asked me yesterday Sunday if that was part of the podcast <laughs> oh, from Wednesday. Well, all right, I have a little <laughs> catching up to do. <laughs> Mark, the one thing I want to immediately catch up with you is you're from Connecticut originally. UConn, men's and women, both in the championship games. UConn women, 39-0. and 0. I want to get your thoughts. I know you're a big college hoops fan. <laughs> no, you know, I don't, you know I have not watched a second of, this, of the men's tournament and certainly not a second of the women's tournament. I had, didn't even know that was on television. I didn't even know who was in the championship game. I grew, I, I grew yeah. up a huge UConn fan. I mean, my earliest memories as a gigantic fan, I would say I was a bigger UConn fan than I was a Patriots or Red Sox fan as a as a young child. My father went there. Oh, so you were like <laughs> Scott Burrell and Danielle Marshall, Tate George. Tate George. When yeah. he hit the turnaround shot against Clemson in the Sweet 16, 1990, I was jumping up and down so much. I was 11 or 12 years old. I slipped, hit my head on the back of a, an end table, and got all bloody. Wow, and <laughs> true story. And yet you still get out of the chair to this day. <laughs> Damn the potential consequences of your actions. I like that. Greg was a dyed-in-the-wool Hartford Whalers fan as a youth. Is that true? That's not true. Uh, (laughs) The whale. And then, you know, one more thing before we really get into the show, and this is a question for you, Greg, because first thing when I heard about it, I needed to see what Greg Rosenthal thought. Undertaker loses at WrestleMania for the first time on Sunday night, ends his streak of 21 straight wins in the uh, main event. Were you just trying to provoke us into anger to start the show? It still does. It still does amaze me that smart, like people, people we like, we know, are really into pro wrestling still, and they defend oh, it up and down. Don't be highfalutin about. I'm not it. highfalutin. It's just hard to wrap my mind around. Well, I am. I thought Undertaker had to be <laughs> off the scene for 15 years at this point. I he's, can't believe he's still he's wrestling. Very old. He's very old, and I won't say who it is, but in our newsroom, we sit next to a guy that used to write for the WWE and even went on some road trips with Vince McMahon, mm-hmm. and we're get, was getting some stories this morning. It sounds like pretty interesting to work in that. Do you, do you watch Gold Standard behind the glass? Do you watch wrestling? Because I saw a couple of Well, yeah, so I, I took about a decade and a half hiatus from it, um, but the year 2000, that WrestleMania, uh, a group of friends and I congregated in my den and watched it, and we thought it would be 
you know, sort of an intriguing exercise to yeah, do it again be. yesterday. So we did it. And yeah, no, I I think the sports passed me by, unfortunately. Yeah, because you're a grown up to some degree. No, no, I agree. I, well, I, you had a great tweet yesterday. Degree. <laughs> wow, well, let's be honest. Gold Senate, you had a great tweet about the demographic. Do you? Thank do you. you. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't back? see any children anywhere, and In so I audience. think we need to stop lying to ourselves about what the target market is for WWE action. Would you take a child to that event? I wouldn't. I, yeah, as I was I was reared on a on a hearty diet of pro wrestling, and look how great I turned out, Mark. <laughs> I absolutely, well, I, I know my brother and I had wrestling figures, and we had a, a ring with a steel cage that you oh, could wow. tack onto it. We were obsessed, but it, it no, affected me you. negatively. I think after what the British Bulldogs did to me, I will never take oh, yeah, a child cha- to what? a wrestling match. Well, tell the listeners what happened to you. You know, I, I had never gone to a match. I was I would say I was about eleven years old, and uh, I think. A friend's dad took us to uh, Cincinnati Gardens in Cincinnati to watch wrestling. And the British Bulldogs <laughs> come out as a tag team, and they were one of my favorite wrestling tag teams because they were really athletic, pulled off all these crazy moves in the ring. Davy Boy Smith, rest, rest his soul, and some other guy. Yeah. yeah. So they come out and they wrestle, <laughs> and an hour later, they come back out with masks on as a completely different wrestling tag team. <laughs> that's, it, that's disturbing. It, well, I was... I was crestfallen. I was never again able to watch wrestling. And you wrestling. could just tell by the way their bodies were, some of their moves, that it was the they same They were the same. Dudes. Yeah, they were, they were built the exact same. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty small for wrestlers. They were like, very acrobatic. And the very way, acrob- you, you wonder why so many of these wrestlers die young. That double shift, pulling that double shift, and then traveling through the night and taking tranquilizers to get back up for the next match. You saw, you saw inside the machine. You didn't like it. It was a loss of innocence, definitely. <laughs> All right. I can never get that childhood back. <laughs> I love it. Great topper of the show. Um, we do have a nice show today. You know, it's slowing down the news cycle, but yet the ATL podcast, there's no shortage of topics to talk about. I think that speaks to us, potentially. There's a little, there is a shortage. Yeah. We're going to stretch. <laughs> We're going <make> <laughs> to make some stuff up. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that. It just We're, got undermined. You know, we just, we just uh, started a new series, a Roster Reset, where we're going division by division, team by team, looking at what's happened in the last couple of months or since the season's ended. We get, get some more mailbag questions. We've been, Mark, we've been holding on to many of these, waiting for you to return. We did a couple last week. We're going to do some more t- a little later today's show. Are you excited about that? I am wound up for this. I bet you are. <laughs> and, uh, but before we do any of that, the gold standard, let's do some news, all right? Let's do it. We'll start with Mark's team, the Browns. Center Alex Mack, who's transition tagged right now, he visited with the Jaguars on Friday. That was his first official visit, and there are reports or rumors that the Jags could make a play on him. There was a report from Pro Football Talk on Sunday that the Browns would match an offer that the Jags made uh, if that were to happen. So this is a, obviously a front-end center. The Browns want to make sure he stays there, but why did they give him the transition tag in the first place? I don't know, but... Well, I think the one thing they kept talking about was they didn't want to, and this is what Reggie McKenzie did with Houston and Veld here. Like, he didn't want to make these guys stay on the team if they really didn't want to be there. And they sat down with Alex Mack. I just get the sense that Alex Mack does not want to be a Cleveland Brown long term unless he were to stay this year and have a different experience with this new coaching staff. Right, and for those that don't know, the transition tag, difference between the transition tag and the franchise tag, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, franchise tag, it's a fixed number of the top five uh, players at that position, the average salary. Transition tag, it's a lower uh, annual salary, and that allows other teams the opportunity to offer or sign that player to a, a contract sheet. That original team can then match that, if they don't match it, he goes to the new team, but you get no compensation. Is that right? My ta- That's right. Yeah. My takeaway from that Pro Football Talk article was, like you said, Alex Mack does not want to re-sign with the Browns. The Browns actually want another team to offer him a contract so they can yeah. match it, right. at which point Mack will be signed long-term in Cleveland. They get to keep him. Then. Well, Mack's also realizing he's a center that might not get a monster contract. And the first numbers thrown out was a potential $22 million guaranteed over three years. And the Browns, of course they would match that. This is why they transition tagged him. They're willing to pay him $10 million guaranteed this year. That means only another $12 million guaranteed over the next two years and after that. And they have more cap space than any team right now. And if they don't, if they were to lose Mac to the Jaguars or anyone else, 
their offensive line quietly, totally in shambles. I like that the Browns Jaguars heat that started in the movie <laughs> Draft Day <laughs> has bled over into real life. Yes. Not, nice segue, by the way. Mark and I, we're writing our draft day review. We'll be on the Around the League page this week. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, one more point about this. If everyone knows that the Browns still want Alex Mack, isn't it a little strange? Or maybe the explanation why there's only been one team that's really seriously looking at him because they know the Browns are just going to match whatever contract they would sign him to? A uh, uh, sheet? Why are you looking at me like that, Greg? What? I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm not looking at you at all. You have bug eyes. <laughs> you bug eyeing me. No, they assume the Browns. They don't want to do the Browns' work for them, essentially. Right. Is that possible? That I think that's totally it. That no team's going to bother unless they can just blow the Browns out of the water with some monster offer. No one wants to do that. Mark, more Browns news. Aren't you excited that you're back? Isn't this better than Palm Springs? Ideal timing. Uh, Nate Burleson. And draft day this week. It's a big Browns week. Big Browns week. Nate Burleson is now a member of the Cleveland Browns. Mark Sessler strikes a one-year deal with the team. Uh, essentially, it's in, in a funny way, you, you, you had the Megatron Burleson set up. Now it's a similar thing, but in Cleveland, because now you have Josh Gordon and low-level Nate Burleson. No disrespect to the man. Uh, he's a very nice guy. I've met him. Name dropper. Mark, your <laughs> thoughts? Well, I think, number one, I, I think the front office in Cleveland is not happy with Greg Little, and for good reason. He cannot... He's some of the unstickiest hands in the league. But I'm not sure Burleson's nice even it. on the roster come September. I don't, there's no lock to make the team. What's more likely? Nate Burleson is on the Browns roster for the opening game, or Ed Reed is on any roster for the opening game? Ed Reed ain't playing no more. Burleson, for sure. <laughs> he plays the slot, and they already signed Andrew Hawkins. Is, I don't, that is I don't a strange see why signing. they did that. To me, Hawkins is the starter at this point. He's the number two or number three, whatever, wherever you want to put him on the field, he's going to play a lot. And Burleson is the next most likely receiver on the team to make the team. How many 30-something-year-olds who no longer have working legs um, and don't contribute on special teams make rosters? He's good in the locker room. Leader. He is good in the locker room. I've yeah. seen a few of those players make Cleveland's roster in the past. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, speaking of bad legs, Andre Brown, running back last year with the New York Giants, has signed with the Houston Texans, has shown some flashes with the, in his time with the Giants, but also has had a broken leg in the past two seasons. He's had two broken legs situations. Now get basically takes the place of Ben Tate, another Cleveland Browns tie-in. Mark, see, it's a good thing you're back. He replaces Ben Tate in Houston. He'll be Arian Foster's backup, and he could see time because Arian Foster has not been too durable of late. Well, durability is a big uh, Andre Brown bugaboo, too. In addition Mm. to the two broken legs, he's had ACL surgery and other injuries. I think going into last season, he had only played two NFL games. (laughs) Really? Yeah, wow. and they, on five different teams. This will continue the streak of Andre Brown being wildly overrated in fantasy leagues. <laughs> yes, it will. I don't know why. It really annoys me. Everyone's always really excited about Or maybe it was just last season, but he was ranked. He was getting drafted in the sixth, seventh round. The Texans will have a running back coming off of back surgery and the most brittle running back in the league behind him. This just paves the way for Peyton Hillis just to start his massive comeback. He's already signed He's with the Giants. Up. The Giants yeah. got that deal done. <laughs> when you have a talent Peyton like Peyton Hillis, you have to lock him up. <laughs> this was like first week of free agency. They kept Peyton in the building. True story. I'm aware of that. Oh, that's, okay. that's why I made that point Whatever. that he is set up nicely for a bounce-back <laughs> campaign. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Um, all right. Anything else to say on that topic? Not a word. <laughs> All right. In St. Louis, uh, the less need, the general manager, a personal favorite of mine, as <laughs> listeners of the podcast know, uh, has said, <clears throat> tells Greg Bedard of the MondayMorningQuarterback.com that uh, calls for the number two pick that the Rams own via the Redskins have been, quote, flirtatious. And nothing will be serious until it becomes more clear what direction the Texans will go with, with their number one pick. Mm. Uh, one interesting note also a guy whose uh, opinion I respect because he's pretty plugged in and he's great on Twitter, John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, now believes that Johnny Football is going to the Texans at number one. That would shake up the whole draft if that actually happened. I think Dan was just excited to see less need and the word flirtatious in a headline <laughs> together. <laughs> 
guy's got a great hairline <laughs> and pretty nice cheekbones. I actually spoke with him in Orlando, Name really only to get close and find out if the hair was as legendary. And it is. It's legitimately a wonderful head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think about the uh, flirtatious talks? I think that number two pick is very likely a spot that could get traded. Why not? If Clowney makes it to two or Clowney gets taken number one, then the number one quarterback's still on the board, and the Rams seem like a team that would want to trade out. It's tough to guess this early, but it seems likely. The Rams want Clowney to go number one probably, right? Because they want these teams freaking out to try to get Johnny Football potentially at two. I think the Rams want Clowney there at number yeah, two. I, think, I agree. I still find it hard to believe that any team is going to pass on Clowney. Yeah. I think he's mm-hmm. one of those guys that comes out every five or ten years. Greg Williams would love to have him on that defense. That would be an unfair defense suddenly if they got him. Well, there's also – some talk behind the scenes, and this is the type of stuff people can't report because whatever, but we'll just throw it out there because we're irresponsible. There is still some talk that the Rams could be in the market for a quarterback in this draft. Mm. Is that true? People, I'm not making, yeah, there is talk. People chattering do believe that the whole Rams stuff on Bradford that, you know, maybe it might not be 100% gender. And maybe the Rams are throwing this out there behind the scenes so people think that and they want to trade up with them. That I seems like It's tough to tell. I don't know if my idle rants in the newsroom count as people talking around the league. <laughs> That's not what I'm counting. <laughs> well, well, one thing that Les Snead said, though, in Orlando was, I don't want to draft a guy high up that isn't going to play from day one. So if they're going to go quarterback high up, that would be a surprise to me. It would be something like Jeff Fisher and Snead, of course, falling in love with one of those quarterbacks. Manziel seemed like the most likely. Have you ever been in love guys. with two girls at the same time? Yeah. You have? Yeah, sure. Okay. But, I mean, the, the Rams are clearly head over heels for Sam Bradford. Well, I, Hopefully I, not currently. What, what that would be is that they really aren't, that they draft the quarterback and they trade Bradford. Every time they talk about Sam Bradford, it, it's like they're talking about a Hall of Famer. They're, trying they're to smitten with that guy. I feel like there's some of that involved, too, where they're still trying to convince themselves. That well, it does yeah. have that tone. Well, and yeah. they have to because there is no upside to doing anything but that publicly. True. Right? Yeah. Good point. Some news from over the weekend. John Fox and the Denver Broncos. Good point. All right. All right. <laughs> Score. Nice. John Fox and the Denver Broncos have agreed to a three-year contract extension. Um, the final few... The final year of Fox's current deal was ripped up. There was one more year remaining. And uh, a source tells NFL media insider Ian Rappaport that the deal is both fair and generous. Gentlemen. Hmm. He got paid. Do you think John Fox puts a ceiling on what the Broncos are capable of? As in, do do you think if they face the Seahawks... Again, is there any way he doesn't get completely worked over by Pete Carroll's staff? Ooh. Do you think that the reason they lost is because they got outcoached? I think that's one I of the reasons. I think out-coached. they got heavily outcoached. I think they game. got think outplayed they, by a better superior team. I, well, I think they even acknowledged that they didn't prepare as well as they could have. I, I, not even just spot. the prepper. I mean, I thought the Seahawks' preparation was just about perfect. They punched them Their in the game mouth. plan was perfect. They beat them. And then it, during the game, there were three moves that I thought during the game, like, what is John Fox thinking? What do, let's hear him. Uh, the challenge early in the game, a challenge that didn't make any sense. He's, right. He's terrible at challenges. Uh, the opening kickoff in the second in the second half when Prater can just kick it out of the back of the end zone, and they went with a pop-up kick that Harvin ran back for a touchdown. And then there was a play call, I think, on third or third down or something, where I was like, what? That th- it was third and 20, and they ran a draw play or something. Right. I don't know. Right. And but, I think one question with Fox is, A, is he the guy that puts a ceiling on what they have in place now, potentially? But post Peyton Manning, which is potentially sooner than we all realize, it could be next season, is he the guy you'd want to oversee what comes next, or does it not matter at this point? I was critical or at least wondering what they were doing when they hired John Fox. I was surprised he got such a great job right away, but he's done a great job. He made the playoffs with Tebow. I don't think he really puts a ceiling on them. He hires great people around him. He's made good choices no, with his I, offensive coordinators. They Everyone likes playing with him. Almost. I think he has a good staff, and I, I think he's a good coach. I just I, I would have no confidence if they played the Seahawks again that they could win. Almost coached the Carolina Panthers, led by Jake DeLome, to a win over the Bill Belichick Dynasty Patriots. That's a good point. He, here's what you're getting at. I think there's only five 
NFL coaches that really make a huge difference, and he's probably not one of those five. Right, I agree with it. But he might be in the group of the next five yeah. guys. Yeah, I agree. Give him the money. You know? All right, Wes, let's check in on your Chris Johnson tracker, finally, last news item of the day. Uh, what have we learned since Friday's podcast? Has anything changed? There was a report this weekend, I could tell you, that Johnson expected to pick his next team by the middle of the week, but we haven't heard any teams really hot on his trails yet. Well, I think what what, what we've learned is that basically the Jets and the Falcons are the only obvious candidates. Uh, since Friday, the Cowboys, according to the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, have no interest. The Dolphins, according to Ian Rappaport, have no interest, even though there was trade talk. The Bills, apparently the Titans called the Bills, not vice versa, so that interest was all, are always blown up. Um, so I think... The Falcons apparently were one of the teams that talked trade, and then the Jets, according to uh, NFL media insider Ian Rappaport, were the team that came closest to pulling off a trade. So those two teams look like the most likely landing spots. Get excited, Dan. Well, no, this is all working out right to my man, John Idzik, the Glacier. Right into the Glacier's hands. Oh, you haven't heard that, Mark, have you? I like that. Okay. Right into the Glacier's hands. He's going to be able to sign Johnson at a deep discount. And all of a sudden, you got deals up and down that roster. Man knows what he's doing. It would be interesting to see Michael Vick handing the ball off to Chris Johnson in an offense that Eric Decker and probably is going to draft a young receiver. I thought you were going to say it would be interesting to see Vick hand the ball off to Chris Johnson in 2010. Right. Well, or 2006 <laughs> or 2008, I guess would be even better. Nine. He was Michael Vick was still in jail. <laughs> that would have been a problem. That would have made it tough. Yeah, the Jets make all the sense in the world. We talked about this last week. I think you uh, put Ivory and Johnson together. That's a good team. Or above average, in my opinion. Average. Your, your or, opinion matters. Or average a little bit. Within the context of this building or this room right here, it matters. Millions of readers that online side of the desk. across the yeah. world. <laughs> right here. Um, anything else on that? I think we've got some breaking news as we're taping this podcast, Dan. Well, you say it. You teased oh. it. Let it rip. Oh, well, sometimes we're up here and, you know, our helpful guys down in the newsroom, David Ely, Kevin Patrick coming at you, covering for us. He, he let me know uh, the Saints have matched the offer sheet for safety, Rafael. Bush. Hubba, hubba. Adjust your life accordingly. Wait, which he apparently. He did not want them to do that. He wanted a starting job with the Falcons. He didn't want to be backing up Kenny Vaccaro and Jairus Bird. Jairus Bird. Jairus Bird. Big to get that in there. <laughs> yeah. So this is a this is a lose lose win situation. Saints are happy. They have some depth. They have no more cap room, but that hasn't stopped them at any point in the past. Right. Bush is not happy because he's not a starter, and the Falcons didn't find. What they thought was Poor be Bush, our next we have to pay you millions of dollars. Please <laughs> suffer through this with us <laughs> in a wonderful a city. Yeah, that's a fair point. No one's going to argue that. The site of Super Bowl Thirty, or excuse me, the site of WrestleMania Thirty. Hopefully, the site of uh, the Super Bowl in 2018. That vote is Hopefully. coming up, please, in a month. If any NFL owners are listening, thanks, by the way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously, what are you doing? Vote, for, you know, you got to go New Orleans over Minnesota and Minnesota. What's, what's the other option? Uh, Houston. Well, no, Houston's got it. No, there's Indianapolis. Only, it's Indianapolis, Minnesota, and New Orleans. Tough one. Who wants to it go was, to Minnesota in February? Indianapolis. Sorry. They did an outstanding. They did, but not a tough decision. Uh, you know, New Mark, Orleans all the way. Mark and I have been lucky enough to go to the last three with NFL.com. And New Orleans, by far, is the city that gets the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl gets New Orleans. Perfect match every four years at the very at the very least. Get that in that city. And, Greg, you got those ties. I mean, there's <laughs> no one would argue about that if they signed a lifetime contract. New Orleans, every four or five years. And it also, it. It also guarantees every four or five years ATL has – like 40 stories during the last week in January where Crescent City is in it for some reason. <laughs> so we don't want to write New Orleans another time. Is If you return to New Orleans, is that like Montezuma coming back from the uh, battle? 
you're just welcomed like a conquering hero. Greg, is that a biblical reference or something? Montezuma? <laughs> Montezuma. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> no, but like you, you've just won this epic battle. You get welcome back. Like you, Are that's you your well old stomping ground. In the streets of the city. It was, or is it more like Montezuma's revenge? <laughs> it was all, with the second that they announced that. I just wanted to still be employed and be going to Super Bowls at that time, and I made it to it. It was pretty much career goal. Everything's downhill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <clears throat> moving on. All right, so we launched a new series, off-season series, on the Around the League page on Monday, a roster reset. So we're going to go through. Well, Greg, why don't you? You are the boss. Mm-hmm. That's what they call you. <clears throat> Explain to us what this new series is about. Well, it's not just us. It's on NFL AM. It's on Total Access. It's on our podcast. This is what the ladies and gents call cross-platform promotion. Sell out. Roster reset. (laughs) Hashtag sell out. (laughs) Uh, Basically, we're just picking each division, which teams improve the most this offseason. So we look back division by division, and we also look ahead to what's next for each team. All right, and who kicked it off? Greg. And if AFC West with Chris Wesseling, and he picked, uh, mm. no, no surprise here, the Broncos as the team that improved the most in the AFC West. All right, Wes, so why don't you give us, first of all, kind of an overview of what you, after doing all your research, what's your overview of the division right now? I think the Broncos are stronger than they were last year when they went to the Super Bowl. I think they're pulling away from the pack. The Raiders are going closer to the middle. Uh, basically, the I think Kansas City, San Diego, and Oakland have mediocre teams, so there's mediocre in the middle, and the Broncos pulling away. So you're giving Oakland a little credit by saying they're mediocre. Sure, I don't mind giving Oakland credit when they deserve it. They were sub mediocre last year. They were brutal. It would be a gutsy softball pants pick to say they don't get to five wins this year. I wouldn't make that pick. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. I they, think have... they they did a f- fair job of improving in a number of areas. They had a, it, McKenzie has a tough job. He had essentially to fill like ten starting spots, if not more. Well, let's let's right. look at what the Broncos did. They, you know, they pick up where T.J. Ward, Keep to leave Emmanuel Sanders. Is there any risk here, Wes, that we're kind of falling for the shiny team that spends the big money and gets big names, and we're just impressed because they made a lot of moves? I don't think so because I think another thing that really isn't talked about they have going for them is they have more impact players returning from injury than than any team. Their best defensive player, Von Miller. Their best offensive lineman, Ryan Clady. Derek Wolf, one of their best run stoppers. Mm. Kevin Vickerson. Raheem Moore, who has range at safety. Pair him with T.J. Ward. They've got a lot of things going for them now. And, and frankly, the AFC just is pretty weak. And how often do you see you know teams go out and they're the big spender and they win the offseason? And usually they're like a middling to poor team the season before. This is the situation where the team, which was, to me, clearly the best team in the uh, conference last year, is the team that won off the off season. So to me, I feel like the, the level, the chances of letdown are smaller. And a lot of that's because Peyton Manning's still in the picture. Well, like last year was a Dolphins team that went out and went crazy on the open market, but still a lot of talent void there. And they weren't able to get someone they overpaid for players for the Broncos. I look at Emmanuel Sanders as a nice addition and an offense that you could plug him in. It'll be very productive. And you're right. If you want to give Fox credit, what a good job he did last season with so many injured players, and they didn't skip a beat. And new parts. I think that's a great point you made, Wes, about all the guys coming back because that's why they probably felt comfortable letting guys like Zane Beatles go, Eric Decker. Sean Phillips and Robert Ayers maybe aren't world beaters, but those guys played a lot of snaps for him. Wesley Woodyard played a lot. Rogers Cromartie. They have lost people, but the roster still looks good. Do you see a roster hole there that needs to be filled through the draft? Well, middle linebacker, they went after Dequell Jackson, which suggests even though Nate Irving played well down the stretch that they're not sold on him yet. Uh, I don't think they like him on passing downs quite as much. So middle linebacker is one area, and I, I don't know if they're done tinkering with their offensive line yet. Or how about running back? I know Fabiano's got Monty Ball in the top ten fantasy <laughs> pick, but Monty Ball and Ronnie Hillman's not a good backfield. Well, they it's, gotta, it's they a bit of a mystery, someone, too. I mean, right? I think there's a lot of reasons to like well, Ball, but we just we don't know what he's going to be when he's the bell cow. Just get one more guy. That's Considering John Fox's history, I mean, we've been, as Greg and I used to do fantasy football, just, you, you know, you throw your hands up every single year because he always goes with a veteran, and he never trusts a younger back. Mm. So this would be a departure from character for him to mm. rely on Monte Ball. All right, what about the Oakland Raiders? We touched on him a little bit a couple of minutes ago. Uh, do you think... 
in your mind, you think these improvements, they are not going to be one of the worst teams in the league? Do you think they've done enough to kind of at least gain some sense of dignity back? Yeah, I think they. I think this team might have some dignity. They they look like they're competitive. <laughs> you ranked them number two in this group of how much they improve this offseason. They're going to put on the, credit on the media guide for the Raiders. They might have some dignity. If if Matt Schaub doesn't <laughs> play like he did last week or last season, then they might have some dignity. Could you see Oakland, <laughs> after all they've said about Schaub, go out and take a quarterback number three, or number five? Oofa. Sure. They need a quarterback. They they do. They've talked about him as as a guy who can compete with Peyton Manning and Phillip Rivers and who can be the answer for three or four years, but the contract says they can cut him at really any time. It's crazy how many guys they sign that'll start right away. They're not just signing a few key free agents. They signed 11 free agents from other teams, and of those 11, I think 10 will probably start. That's insane. That's half their starting. I mean, Woodley, Tuck, Antonio Smith, Carlos Rogers, Donald Penn, Maurice Jones-Drew might start, James Jones, Austin Howard, Terrell Brown. I mean, those are your starting lineup Oakland Raiders. That's tough on Dennis Allen as a coach. Wes, Reggie McKenzie and Dennis Allen, what's today? April 7, 2015, employed by the organization? By this time next year? Yep. No. Both gone. Hmm. All right, let's move over to the San Diego Chargers. Now, in, in your post, Wester, you don't have a lot here for them. What does that mean? Does that mean you didn't do your due diligence and put a poor effort on this, or is it something else? <laughs> the most frust- frustrating part of this exercise was writing about the Chargers because they haven't done anything except oh, sign Donald okay. Brown. I should have What about uh, re-signing Seiji Ajiratutu? Well, yeah, I nice did. I neglected to mention that one. Just they saying. did re-sign Donald Butler. That was probably their most important move. He's one of their few young... Uh, few young starters on defense who, who you might consider above average. They also lost Clipboard Jesus. They did, and replaced him with Kellen Clemens. I think that's a downgrade. That might be a net gain. I think that's a gain. I think that's an upgrade. Well, I, I'm only thinking about downgrade. the He Hate Me All-Stars. You know, great nicknames for poor players. Losing him is Yeah, that's hurts. true. So really not a football opinion no, no, of no. any nature. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Not at all. They didn't lose anyone, so that's good. I mean, the, the Except play- for Ken Wisenhunt, and that, well, that's they, bad. That's true. They dumped some guys. They dumped Leron McLean and Derek Cox, who was the latter was one of the worst free agent signings of last season. I mean, the Chargers are essentially like when Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, <laughs> <laughs> and at some point they'll melt and become a team again. I, I still want the Chargers to be frisky. I, gu- I guess my I enjoyed watching Rivers matter last year. I hope I hope they challenge the Broncos. I think they need speed on both sides of the ball. Uh, they need another receiver behind Keenan Allen, and co- their cornerbacks were terrible last year. They need help there. That They have to be targeting a wide receiver in the draft, you'd think, right? I know their cornerback is a big spot for them, but Keenan Allen, is as great as he was as a rookie, you know, he's not what someone would think is a franchise-type wide receiver. They need somebody to put on the other side of the field with him, right? Yeah, you know, we're used to, for so long, having these big, tall, deep threats, Malcolm Floyd, Denario Alexander, Vincent Jackson, and now they don't have any of those guys. Do you see them bringing in, uh, well, with Donald Brown in there, the same offense next year where they're just going to run the ball 45 times a game? That, that seems to be, I think they really liked that at the end of last season when they ran, they seemed to uh, find a good mixture there. You mentioned getting improving the pass rush, which is a great point. Melvin Ingram and Dwight Freeney. Freeney was off to a great start last year, but then missed the season. He's coming back for less money this year. He took a pay cut to stay. And then you write, reward Ryan Matthews. Give a contract extension to your boy. Oh, how he things have it. changed. Wow. Do you think that happens? I don't think that happens. Uh, not after they signed Donald Brown to a contract which was basically better than any running back on the market got, and he's only going to see the ball five or ten times a game. Damn it, Donald. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those moves where if you get halfway into next season and last year's Ryan Matthews is still healthy and still chugging, then give him some cash. Yeah, I, I agree. Why why pay for a running back who could just get injured this year? And finally, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Wes, do you think this is a team that's regressed? Well, yeah, they've lost. You know, Chiefs fans have been killing me ever since this win on Twitter. They've lost 6,000 snaps. <laughs> Three offensive linemen, Tyson Jackson, Keenan Lewis. <laughs> Uh, Such a mad scientist move to add up the snaps. <laughs> I really, that's, that's, that's a lot great. of snaps. I love that. That's why you're the mad scientist. That's a lot of snaps. I don't think they're a better team. They've lost too much talent, and they really haven't signed anyone except Vance Walker. 
everything went right for them out of the gate last year, too. But yeah. their offense, I thought, got frisky and, and dangerous down the stretch. And their defense fell apart because they were no longer facing backup quarterbacks, which they did in five straight games at one point. You are down on Dwayne Bowe with good reason. Uh, that's a major uh, situation for them to find somebody that maybe is a legit number one because he's starting to prove that he can't be that guy. He's, they need a number two. He's a number en- three. He's too. an enigma. Would, I don't know. I don't know if it would surprise me if he came in tip-top shape and regained his playmaking ability, but he didn't have it last year. He was moving like a tight end. They showed a lot of faith, or maybe it was just they didn't have much cap space, but a lot of faith in the offensive linemen that that are there because they let so many walk away. You're right. Vance Walker, who's a defensive tackle, is their biggest acquisition this offseason. And here are the guys that have left. Brandon Albert, John Asamoah, Tyson Jackson, Kendrick Lewis, Dexter McCluster, uh, and Jeff Schwartz. All those guys are starters. And those are just the highlights. That's a rough departure on the line because that team, Jamal Charles, that's the centerpiece of your offense. And you just want to run him all day long, and Alex Smith is not going to sit back there and throw a ton of passes. I don't know. That's that's. I know they started last year. I'm not sure it's going to work. They're plugging out. high, high, highly drafted players into that offensive line. Uh, Donald Stevenson, Eric Fisher, but you know, also offensive lines take time and they need cohesiveness. Yeah. Who knows how that will work out? I'm interested to see. I don't totally discount the idea that the Alex Smith and Andy Reid excitement we saw down the stretch last year was a mirage. Maybe this is going to be a pretty good offense. Give Reid and Smith some credit that they could keep it going. They did it for more than half a season. Come on, give them some credit, Wes. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, they did it for more than half a season. I have no problem with that, but they need better talent. Certainly doesn't sound that we have not picked the ATL podcast team of 2014. Right now, it doesn't look like the Chiefs are going to get that. I'm not backing the Chiefs, especially at the way their fans. It has are to be unanimous. I think this is something has <laughs> yeah, to be agreed. I agree with you on that. So, yeah, you can For block sure. that, West. Veto. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Good job there, West. Way to carry the show there for a solid ten minutes. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, why don't we dip back into the mailbag? You've got mail because, like I said, we wanted Cecil to be back in town uh, to do this because some of these questions directly involve Cecil. And I'll start with one. Let's see. What should I start with? This one will be – this is very Sessler-centric. It's from one of our, our favorite Twitter guys and a, a avid listener uh, and a good fantasy guy at that, Rumford Johnny, at Rumford Johnny, has this question. Can a sandwich sans meat be considered, quote, elaborate? You're asking me that? Well, I mean, you're the vegetarian. I don't really even like sandwiches in general. What? No, I don't. I mean, again, I, I'm vegetarian. You don't like so food. I don't really like food that much. I, w- I think the answer that we will all agree on is that no, a sandwich needs meat. It can't, it can't just be lettuce. Right. And this entire operation, this bed, I am on I the- had a sandwich last night at the garage that did not have meat. How was it? It was pretty good. Was it the best sandwich you ever had? No. Would you call it elaborate? I would not call that a high-octane sandwich. Well, but Mark has no choice. I, I think Mark is owed... Some sandwiches is that? I mean, yes, but uh, but and yours cannot have meat on it, so in, you have to have an elaborate one without meat. I just find that the, for for the vegetarian, <laughs> this entire arrangement, this bet, yeah. is not something that I sit up at night about thinking about excitedly. I think your guys are getting the probably more expensive, high octane. Okay. Okay. Meat Who doesn't sandwiches. like sandwiches? Are you American? I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I feel as bad for you as I do, Raphael Bush. <laughs> so rump for johnny uh thank you for checking in no it cannot be considered elaborate this is also something revolving uh mark's eating habits from frank campos (laughs) at frank campos j what's more likely mark sessler eats meat again or chris wessling becomes a cincinnati fan again i think he's referring to the bengals i'm a fan of the city uh and i like the reds (laughs) but it's not going to happen i'm not going to become a bengals fan Unless, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. What Mark? if they made the Super Bowl? No, it it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> well, what if what if ownership changed? <laughs> okay, now we're talking. All right. And well, see, you would think that Wes—that's the more likely thing. But Sessler, I, I don't know if you want this out there, but you acknowledged to us recently that you had a BLT last uh, year. I did, I did, uh, and it was wonderful, actually. Huh. But. You're asking huh? down the road, would I, like a year ago, I did it can very we, randomly. Yeah. Can uh, BLT be your elaborate sandwich for the bet, for the uh, <laughs> go get my lunch? No, because I was going to say that it, no way would I 
return to becoming a meat eater. Mm. So Wesleyan will be a Bengals fan. But you gotcha. were. <laughs> but you were. You already ate it. Right. I've experienced both lifestyles, and I am opting for the meat-free diet. Not sure why. Greg, this one is in your direction as the boss. How about, this is from Christopher Ayala, C.D. Ayala on Twitter. How about a longer podcast? 50 minutes just isn't enough to fit football (laughs) and your side stories. I want to hear more. (laughs) We're on three times a week, and I think one of our best attributes is we leave you wanting more. Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't want it. Once it gets over an hour, then it's suddenly an hour 30. Then it's longer than the Godfather part two. I was thinking about podcasts. an offshoot. <laughs> I was thinking about an offshoot podcast just filled with my mailman story. <laughs> that, that would I, be I like. excellent. Um, all right. And this finally, this is a good one to each hero. This is from Martin Wired and that's M wired underscore THFC. Martin, you got to work on that Twitter handle to each hero. What's your best memory as a fan of your team, and what's your worst? And that's a good one. I like that one. We'll start with Chris Wessel. Your let's go with first your uh, best memory. I don't really have a team, right? Uh, but we're well, going back did. to before you retired. I can't remember like one single defining moment. I guess I would say uh, my dad was a lot like me, where he uh, didn't really care much for the Bengals. He had problems with their ownership. But he got excited whenever Rodney Holman, their tight end from the 80s, would just plow through the secondary. And I liked him. He kind of pulled a Greg and would jump off the couch. <laughs> so I guess my dad getting excited about Rodney Holman and uh, maybe James Brooks, the 80s era Bengals. I like that. Worst moment, uh, the 1990s. <laughs> right. As the decade. I, I would say if there was a worst moment, my falling out with the team came when uh, I had a lot of issues with how they were handling – uh, basically the entire operation. And Lee Johnson, their punter, came out and basically said everything that I've been wanting to say about how the team was run. I w- He was a really smart guy. I wouldn't call it like a direct rip job. He just basically diagrammed, this is exactly what's wrong with your organiza- organization, and Mike Brown cut him the next day. Mm. So it was like a Sunday after a game, and they had been an embarrassment for for years. I was, it was I, like he cut you right there. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Maybe. your worst moment might have been when you went to the Office Depot to get the folder that would hold your dossier <laughs> of why you were quitting the Bengals. I worked in a law firm. I had plenty of uh, folders. That. Yeah. Uh, Mark Sessler, your best memory as a fan? Best memory would be uh, my father surprised me in 1988. Said we're get, we had to go do some chores, get in the car with me. Actually had packed bags, drove to the airport, and we went and saw a Browns-Steelers game in the middle of the 1988 season. It was Bernie Kosar's birthday. I had never been to Cleveland Stadium. So it, was, you know, it wasn't the biggest game on the planet, but they wiped Pittsburgh up, <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was excellent. Do you think Bernie Kosar, after that win over the Steelers on his birthday, went out to celebrate? What do you think chances are? 145%? I don't know. You'd have to ask Babette Kozar, his former wife. Oh. Babette. All right. That's a nice memory. And your worst. Babette's a lot of pressure on a woman. I feel like you, you better be good looking if <laughs> yeah. your name is Babette. You'll be blonde. <laughs> worst. Oh, my God. I don't even know where to begin with this franchise. you got to pick one that worst, stands out above all Worst would others. be at, at the, the year I was graduating college is the same year that Cleveland moved to Baltimore, right? and I had spent my entire college career majoring in journalism and PR because I was going to move to Cleveland at that, that December, because I graduated in December, and I was going to go work for the Browns. Bang! Instead, I'm watching Art Modell on the steps in Baltimore saying, we aren't in Cleveland anymore. We aren't the Browns anymore. The whole thing was changing. So my career aspirations shot. Three months later, I'm in New York City working in the Columbia Library, shoving metal rods into books that mm. would set off alarm detectors when you leave, getting paid $11 an hour. Basically, you had like Lee Harvey Oswald's job. I essentially <laughs> followed in, in Oswald's footsteps. Do you think if Art Yikes. Modell was better at managing his own money, they would still be in Cleveland? Yes. I think there's a fair argument for that. I, I just want to point out, I had a factory of sadness drop ready, and I, it was so you sad that I couldn't took your finger it. away. Sorry. <laughs> it was too sad. It was too sad. You want to do it anyway? You are a factory of sadness! <laughs> Greg. Mark really appreciated that extra effort. <laughs> Welcome back, Mark. Uh, best memory. Best memory, it has to be the 2001 Super Bowl. For sure. 
And really that whole season was better than any season that'll ever be for a Boston sports fan. I don't care about the Red Sox winning the first World Series as much as that season. You cannot top what went on. Just the quality of the games and it coming out of nowhere. I was actually living out here at the time, watching the games early with some friends. It was it was delightful. A dream. I mean, what could beat that? They were a heavy underdog against the juggernaut in New Orleans, the Crescent City. Right. Win at the gun. Just well, perfect. Dream season. And it, they were 5-5 five and five at the time. So it was this whole run where you kept thinking it was going to end and they wouldn't make the playoffs. And then the playoff games, each one of them was... You know, pretty delicious you in had their this, own right. The, yeah, you had the Tuck game, which was iconic, and it, then it launched a, a dynasty. So the game even gains that season gains more. This must be nice to be a Patriots fan. <laughs> <laughs> that was number one. My least favorite moment or was, or the worst moment was after uh, the Super Bowl, the second Super Bowl loss against the Giants. Worse than eighteen and one. Yeah, definitely. Why? Because at that point, more years had passed. That team was more likable. They were punching above their weight. There was no reason for them to really be there that year. And it felt like they'll probably never get back here. And wouldn't it just be great Belichick and Brady get one more? So you wanted it more, just one more time. And just the way it ended, that was much more disappointment. I go into the locker room afterwards, and Tom Brady is just sitting there with his head in his hands, catatonic. I was like, this is a bummer. I'm going over to the Giants. It's funny because I did Mm. not know you at that point, but I was in the same locker room. I'll never forget Brady, who clearly was injured in that game, afterwards sitting on a chair, slowly pulling like dark business socks up before he walked out with Giselle in like a $7,000 suit. It was a bad scene. As you would imagine. Then I realized... Dan was in the winning locker room, by the way. Seal. Seal was taking photos in the winning locker room. That was where I realized, never go into the losing locker room if you have an option. So I I don't think I did before or since. Hmm. What's the point? You made me go into the losing locker room. Well, you're covering that team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Finally, yeah, me, my best memory, and uh, this really speaks to... As someone born in 1980, how little has gone right for the Jets since Joe Namath predicted victory in Super Bowl three. My favorite personal memory is the 2010 divisional playoffs. The Jets going into Foxborough with Rex Ryan in his second year, Mark Sanchez, and beating that Patriots team that was 14-2, and and Brady was the MVP, and Bart Scott after the game saying, can't wait. I watched that at a Jets bar in Burbank, and I remember calling my father after the game, and I, and I remember saying to him, this is it. This is the team that's going to the Super Bowl. We had the Steelers next week. We had knocked off Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in consecutive weeks. And, of course, the Jets, I think, were down 17 nothing at halftime against the Steelers the next week, and they haven't been back to the playoffs since. But at that moment, I thought I was rooting for the best team in football. That memory's gotten worse over time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the peak of the Rex-Mark uh, Sanchez um, time together by far and then my worst memory is the best Jets team that I ever watched was the 98 Jets got knocked off by the Broncos in the AFC title game in 99 Elway had retired and the Jets were by many accounts with Parcells as the head coach uh, and Belichick as the defensive coordinator reviewed as the AFC favorite playing the Patriots in week one first play of the second quarter Vinny drops with a blown Achilles tendon out for the season Parcells and one of his biggest missteps as a coach has Rick Meyer as the backup sticks with him three or four weeks too long and the season is lost and Testaverde's gone and that great Jets team with Keyshawn and Krebet and some great players in defense. No, not, not even Ray Lucas could save that season. Ray Lucas played well <laughs> down the stretch, went six and three, but they were buried and they finished eight and eight. And I remember being so in on that season. I went again with my dad, Jim Corbett of the USA Today, then working for the Journal News in Westchester, gave us a tour of the Jets training camp, a a favor someone did for us. And I got to sit in on a Parcells press conference. I was all in on that team. I was so obsessed. And they broke my heart. (laughs) That's my worst memory. And that's it. That's it for the podcast. That was good. A lot of heartbreak there for three wow. of us, and then one guy's just sitting on top of the world. Oh, whatever. <laughs> heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak. Dynasty. Shattered lives. Basically, no playoff wins for 15 to 20 years before that. A couple here or there. But oh, climb to, me a river. He went to two Super Bowls. I mean, come on. He lost them, but it's been nice being a Patriots fan, <laughs> in spite of some of the painful losses in the last 10 years. Of course. Yeah.
You, you, I feel like no you're one, fair about it. You're being fair about no it. No one would. No one would argue that it's gonna end. I'm gonna would enjoy you rather, enjoy this let's Brady say, career for the next couple of years. Well, let's say you knew that Hopefully. the next ten years for New England's football team would be Wes's 1990s era with the Patriot with the Bengals, or would you rather shave a limb off your body? <laughs> oh, I would definitely just. They can lose as many games as they want. What's the keep Not his touching limbs. his body. <laughs> Mark, yeah. you're too close to the sport at this point. I would take, <laughs> I would take another 10 years of Dave Shula as head right. coach over losing a limb. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things less <laughs> than that yourselves. than you could have gone with than lose a limb. Like, if you had just said even, like, break your pinky once, yeah, I don't even think crack I would. a fingernail. I don't even think I would do that. I remember that. those they 1990s Bengals teams. I may go... With with the limb, they've got the Super Bowls. <laughs> Look, I haven't I mean, even delved in. Second limb without another vacation. I haven't even delved into things like Mike Brown starting the loyalty clause because Carl Pickens would rip on the Bengals. <laughs> Corey Dillon saying he'd rather flip burgers than play for the Bengals. Uh, Ray Bentley, a linebacker, came up and uh, just play out west. Basically, just going to took the headphones Bengals. off Dave Shula's head and laughed at him. I mean, it was it was a laughable team. We could go on and on, uh, on and on with all our teams. All right, guys, we got to get out of here. We'll be back on Wednesday with another show. It'll be the four of us. The Gold Standard will be not with us, but we'll have a, a special guest uh, producer to be determined. Until then, this is Dan Hansen signing off for the Mailman, the Sizzler, the Boss, and the Gold Standard behind the glass. See ya. Roster reset. Clipboard. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.